0: 36 on our study guides. The evangelizing church. These old lenses always look cloudy. Man, I ain't figured that part out yet. Central truth is the gospel is for all people everywhere. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about how it's for everybody, right? And and we and you gotta make sure that, that you believe that it's for everybody. Uh, without um, reservation without prejudices without you know without any boundaries we actually we brought it up last week and and that God wouldn't be the kind of God that he is if he didn't offer it for everybody for any reason you know so um, even though you might not be a villain per se uh, the way that it should be viewed is that if you were engulfed in sin at any time in your life you were a villain you know, I'm using the villain terminology. You're, you were, you are in sin, so that makes you just as guilty as the next person. I heard this said one time. It's probably it was one, of the, one of the more awakening moments. He said, "You know, you talk to all kinds of people, and all kinds of people have done all kinds of things, right? They've done all kinds of things that they're guilty of, that they they've, they've uh, they're guilty of, and that they're ashamed of. The potential for all sin lies within you." the Amen. potential for all sin lies within this flesh right here. The only separation is the fact that we recognize it, repent of it, and do our best for the rest of our lives to walk away from it. That's the difference. It's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a thin line, but that thin line is very important. <laughs> it's the blood of Jesus. And so I always thought of that, and I thought that brings things into perspective, and that helps me and the way that I view other people is that you look at other people and you think, man, I don't know if the gospel's for you. You got the potential to do what they did. You may look at it and think, oh, it's heinous. But see, the flesh is the flesh, right? So this thing's capable of anything. It's capable of all wrongdoing. And so it's the it's being born into sin. That's the, the, the key factor.
1: I, I say that all the time. I, and I ask for forgiveness for judging other people because... Whatever we, in our mind, our Ten Commandments, uh-huh. or mine, whatever you want to call it, when you put it in different categories, and, well, my sin's not as bad as that. Right. There we go. Yeah. yeah you talk about... walk, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Right. You don't know what you're capable of. Yep. We all are. You know, murder whatever i mean it, it's you don't know what situations or what when it when it's going down there you you uh, there's different that different person inside you
0: there Yeah. you just got to get it quick crushed down all the time well i mean david's probably the best example of that i mean there's some other examples in the uh, the bible with, with with moses and um but, but david deliberately organizing the murder of his uh, of uh, Bathsheba's husband in order to cover up what he had done and and David was dubbed a man after God's own heart and so that's completely at the other end of the spectrum so you know regardless of the way we view those things we're capable David was capable and he acted on it and so that's that's just some that's some good lesson. Uh, uh. To for us uh, this morning as we get into this, I'm, I'm, I'll get John and then I'll get you. Go ahead. Who can know it?
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. You, you just you don't even know how deep the thing can go. That's good. And even to the
1: point where you think, how can God forgive that? In our eyes, right. In our eyes, not not His eyes. Mm-hmm. We're just as guilty of things that are equal to it. Yes. No, that's good too.
0: Okay, let's go under. Let's get started. When Jesus instructed his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he knew that uh, was only the beginning of the plan he had for them. The empowerment would help them to reach their neighbors and friends, their fellow countrymen, and eventually people from other cultures. We've talked about this, and I, I don't want to. I'm not going to harp on it, but I do want to bring this up. We've talked about this recently because we have been talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and you heard me say this before. And I'm just recapping what we've talked about in the past is that often the Holy Spirit, when talked about, depending on what circle you're talking about the Holy Spirit in, in the Pentecostal uh, circle, often the Holy Spirit only gets credit or only is viewed as tongues and gifts and things that happen within the structure of a service. That's often the way the Holy Spirit gets looked at. That's not all he's limited to. In fact, that's just a piece of it. And if you really want to get down to it and you look back at what was said as to why the Holy Spirit was coming, it was to help grow the church and push the gospel out and farther. And so really, if you think that that's the only reason that the Holy Spirit is here, is just for gifts and for things to happen within a service, we're actually missing the mark. Amen. We're, we're, we're missing the actual purpose of why the Holy Spirit was even sent in the first place. Is our gifts good? Yeah, it's, it, those were... I don't even have time to talk about the gifts. We've talked about the gifts a lot over the years. The gifts are for edification of the body. That's what they're for. And for some reason, over the years, people have turned them into entertainment. They've turned them into uh, all kinds of of ways to to uh, they've misused them. Let's put it that way. It's been misused. It's been used uh, inaccurately, and and people are um, people are in need today. The current church are in need today of a fresh view of why the Holy Spirit is even here right, within man. the body of the church. We need a fresh view of it. We really do. But So the, uh, the empowerment would help them to reach their neighbors and their friends and their fellow countrymen and eventually people from other cultures. Um, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit did that and does that it, it's, through, it's through boldness, but at the same time it's also through conviction, something they did not have before the Holy Spirit came. You didn't have it there was no conviction and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and guess what now we can push the gospel why because the Holy Spirit's there to say hey you're wrong I feel the Holy Spirit tell me I'm wrong anybody with me hey you're in the wrong hey that's not good that's sin that's the Holy Spirit that's his role it's what he does that's what I love about it is that he tells me and that's his job so to speak I say job that's loose but his role in the Trinity is to point out my wrong, but also to reveal truth to me. Remember, he leads you into all truth, because that's what he does.
3: Amen. Well, we're supposed to use the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Supposed to use him, but if you got him inside of you, you're not supposed to just keep it for yourself. That's right. You're supposed to go out into the world. And compel them to come in. Yep, that's right. And and tell them about Jesus. They mm-hmm. may not ever heard about. It. Don't take it for granted. Yeah, that's a good if point. They know. Yep. They might
0: know the name. Yep. But they won't know about Jesus. hmm I've actually run into that, Jim, and, and you know I was shocked when I ran into it. Got to talking about church, and they said, "Oh, you go to church?" I said, yeah, I go to church. Um, what what faith are you? You know, we get so I said, oh, "I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ." Jesus. I said, "You've never, you've never heard of Jesus? Maybe in a book. No one's ever told me about him." It's like, "How old are you?" That was like in his late twenties. You tell him, telling me you live in the Bible Belt and you never heard of this? <laughs> he hadn't. He was dumbfounded. He literally, like, completely, like, and so had, like Jim said, had I followed my my uh, you know, my, my thinking, I'd have just assume the guy already knew and just had chosen no. You know. Kind of like you know when you opened up the note yes no maybe he already circled no I was like you know he already said no he had been around long enough to know we assume sometimes incorrectly and so we should take advantage of every opportunity said all of the original disciples were Jews so they had to learn uh, to cross uh, cross cultural barriers in order to carry out Jesus' command um, that's true today but it's not so much cultural it's it's just the way people are you've got to cross those barriers are you with me? You've got to be willing to cross those right barriers and, and get into their world. As the early church began to cross those barriers, the disciples had to let go of their own ideas and prejudices. The barriers we're, uh, we are called to cross are different from theirs, but no less real. Absolutely. There are no less barriers. They are. I mean, there are things that you have to overcome. And so, the, so usually... And I'm not, I don't Don't take this in a disrespectful way because I don't mean it as disrespectful. But usually, we'll take the path of least resistance even when it comes to uh, witnessing. And if it's hard or if it's challenging, it must not be in God's will. And so what happens is, is that we settle for a very easy form of evangelizing and what i mean by that is is that we wait for them to come to us bring up the topic we'll say a couple things and we just let it go that's uh, that's easy to do would you would you agree can we just agree that's easy to do that's easy but deliberately making sure that people know who you serve deliberately saying things that are in line with your faith to ring a bell, to make sure people know who you serve and that you want the topic, you want the conversation, you want the debate if it's there, you want it. That's different though. That's a whole different thing in and of itself than waiting for it to come to you. Now I'm no different than you. Now let's just be clear. I sure enough ain't telling you like I've got some sort of super knowledge and I've overcome all that I still struggle with this because my day-to-day life is crazy busy and so I'm going from one day to the next day and I'm only thinking about what I need to get done I think you are in the same boat as me right and often I don't think about the people that I'm crossing paths with that they may lack the very thing that I have and I have been at times when I was paying attention coming to people's houses and they were broken but somebody had arranged for me to be there. And mm-hmm. there was a loss or there was something going on that was that was pretty tough. And the Holy Spirit moved me. And I said, do you, you want to pray? I know you probably never received prayer from a bug guy. <laughs> but do you want to pray? <laughs> yes, I would. Let's pray. Join you hands and let's pray? And let's get through. Let's get through. I, I know I'm here to pray, but... I'm also here for something else, too. I'm here for a reason. And so we have to be assertive. You have to be assertive. If we are waiting for them to bring it up, chances are it's not going to happen. We have to be willing to be okay with challenging beliefs and challenging ideas uh, to, to reveal who we stand for. So the book of Acts begins with Jesus' command for his followers, at first, all Jews, to tell the world about him. Some of the major themes in the book are the extension of the gospel to non-Jewish people and the relationship of Gentile and Jewish Christians. Today's study begins with Jewish believers scattered by the adversity of persecution, sharing their faith with Gentiles. They discovered that God's promise of power was the same for every believer, not only the apostles. Now the, so, so, and I'm going to reword that just for uh, for just a bit before we read the scripture. Some they said uh, they discovered that God's promise of power was the same for every believer um same power not only for pastors teachers leaders but everyone right, right now. remember you gotta remember this position might be different but power is the same accessing is the same all right do you understand pastor tell you this the same way that he contacts God is the same way that you contact God. It isn't like because he's the pastor, he gets to see angels and, and have a, a personal, like, you know, one-on-one conversation. It's like, well, you're, you know, you're pastor. You've you've got it, you know, worked out and you've got it all, you've got all the power, you got all the stuff. It's for everyone. Before I ever realized that God wanted me to 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 minister and to teach. I was in power. It was one of those moments. Anybody have one of those moments before where you just, you're in the spirit? I was in the spirit. Why? Because it was accessible to me and I wanted, I was hungry and I was thirsty. While I was in the spirit, enjoying myself, he said, oh yeah, by the way, I want you to teach. What? No. Wait a second. I was here for a good time. Mm -hmm. See that's what, that's what usually happens when you get into the spirit. That's when you begin to know him. And then he begins to reveal himself to you and his plan for your life it comes at those moments So you see accessibility is for everybody pastor and i've been talking about this lately that um and in here we've been talking to you about it that it's good to come down for prayer we want you to come down for prayer we do but my our, our biggest question to you is are you able to believe and have faith on your own Are you able to stand on your own faith and believe that God is going to come through? If you didn't have access, let me ask this question. (coughs) If you did not have access to any other believer, just by circumstance, you couldn't call, you couldn't text, you couldn't post, you couldn't do, you was alone. Do you have the faith by yourself to believe God will move on your behalf? Come on. Because if you don't, you better reexamine your faith. It's got to be self-sustaining faith. It can't be, well, I'm not going to make it. I, I'm going I'm to need Nathan to come here and, and, and come in and blend with my faith. And y'all might take that the wrong way. Don't. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying that my faith and his faith can combine for a collective faith, but his faith cannot stand in place of mine, nor can mine stand in place of his. Both faiths have to stand alone. That's what makes faith in a collective view so powerful. But if we get a bunch of one-legged faiths, you know what I'm saying? A bunch of one-legged faiths that, that they're not able to balance correctly, then what happens is, is that one person or two people or three people are having to hold the collective group up. That doesn't work. That does not work. So, that's fundamental stuff. I'm just telling you that because... That God can do great things, and and it's great to come down for prayer, and it's great down to come down for agreement. I hope we have some people come down the, this morning for agreement. I really do. I, I hope we have. I hope we have a move of the Spirit in that way, and people get set free, because this is a this is a place where those things get done. But I'm telling you, I've been taught by the Holy Spirit directly in my own circumstances. You can get free at your bedside. Mm-hmm. You can get free in any place you choose to contact the Lord. And the moment you believe, the moment you start believing, the power starts flowing. And sometimes there ain't a soul around. It's just you and Him. To me, that's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Okay. Page 37. Haley? Meanwhile,
4: the believers who have been scattered Persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch, from Cyprus, and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrist. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with the sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. 1127. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. So the believers in Antioch decided to bring relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. 1224. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers when
0: Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. Thank you. Okay. Part 1, evangelizing, evangelizing Both Jews and Gentiles Acts 8-4 states that the believers driven from Jerusalem by persecution preached Christ wherever they went. Luke then focused on Philip and his witness to Samaria. After recording Saul's conversion and Peter's ministry to Cornelius, when talking to different people in different circles uh, in the last week or two about Cornelius. Uh, Nathan and I have talked about it for sure. Luke returned to the witness of those scattered who had made it all the way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Syria, and Antioch. The capital of Syria, Antioch, would be the starting point for all three of Paul's missionary journeys. The scattered believers spoke at first only to Jews. Many of these witnesses, although Jews, had been born and had spent time outside of Israel. Having accepted the gospel, they had been part of the church at Jerusalem. This lifetime of preparation readied them to cross the same barrier Peter had crossed earlier as they began telling Gentiles about Jesus Christ. Well, the thing was, you remember the, the barrier that, that Peter had to cross in order to speak with Cornelius, and so that was, a, that was a major barrier for him, you know, and God had given him vision, and you know, and you, you know the story. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't really think that that was, you know, they weren't worthy. The Gentiles weren't worthy. Um, he wasn't supposed to be eating unclean food. And, you know, God was basically showing him, covenant has changed. Things have changed. And so, yeah, go ahead. Wait, well, I was about to switch gears over. Okay. I going to say, just kind of
2: an A lot of times when you see the word Gentiles, we just point that to some kind of nationality.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, it was, uh, no. no. Any other than Jews. That's right.
2: Which, what's that tell us? They didn't have the opportunity to hear anything because Uh -uh. they were treated as outcasts. Yes. So they were probably living in a world of sin. Oh, yeah. Which people need the Lord. Now, I've had this experience because Christians make a terrible error in this. Mm -hmm. They want to be judge, jury, and executioner. Amen. Trying to talk to sinners. You can't do that. No. Uh, and they see us as that. If you don't approach them properly, with the way God instructs us to do so, you know there's there's ways to touch people and and lure them basically. Yeah. We're all fishers of men. Yeah. But we have to do it properly, and I can see this right here. Yes. They had a real transition to make.
0: Yes. I mean, they're going to be dealing with some
2: pretty horrific people out there. Yes.
0: I I, I think the line to draw there, when you draw that line across to current day, I. I I see so much of us in that, of uh, being having to cross those barriers yeah, and yeah. right, yeah. and so it's it's so it's so much easier not to say anything at all. And I've I've learned a lot by uh, watching different people. You ever wa- anybody ever watch? Um, it's on YouTube. Living Waters Ministry. Yeah. Uh, what's his name?
2: That,
0: I mean, I'm awful. I'm awful. <laughs> So evidently, I wasn't paying attention that good. So he goes out and he's ministering anywhere, at any time. He just strikes up conversations with people. And I, and I watch how this conversation goes. And this, this individual is very, very good at having a conversation um, and getting the conversation to steer in the right direction. Um, watched him have uh, conversations with uh, a couple of homosexuals uh, on different occasions. Uh, and and watch you can see conviction you can see it right there because of the engagement the choice to engage and I think that's so interesting and, and we have to be willing to do that uh, we have to be willing to engage and to, to plant that seed okay so let's keep moving so God was pleased uh, and the hand of the Lord was with the believers in their ministry this frequent biblical expression means God's power or God's Spirit sometimes manifested in miracles this display of God's power in Antioch through ordinary disciples resulted in many committing their lives to Jesus Christ. Okay, so now this teaching specifically about the way that they were spreading the gospel and the way they were getting out. I, so today we have a two-fold problem. We have a two-fold problem. Number one, the first major problem that we have to overcome is that we are living in an area and you've heard me talk about how important this is. The where you live matters. Where you live matters. Uh, where you live matters on how big of a church you're going to have, right? Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not going to have a massive church in a small area. That's just the way it goes. That's exactly. And, and, yeah, there's a lot of factors there. And so, you know, when we start um, we start thinking about what our problems are, the first problem is saturation. We have a saturation problem in this area. You know what that means? Everybody thinks they're saved. Everybody. I'm good. Now when I say saved, what I mean by that is everybody thinks that they are going to heaven. They're okay. Now maybe not everybody, but because of the Bible Belt and the area that we live in, there's churches everywhere and everybody's heard the gospel to some degree, which makes it very difficult to present to them something authentic. It's a challenge, and it's a hurdle that you have to face. You can't get out of it. I have talked to people who have been in uh, ministry in heavily Mormonized areas where there is not a lot of Christianity. And he told me himself the conversions are easier in Mormon areas than they are in your own Bible Belt, way easier. Why? Why would that be? because they ain't never heard this stuff. They didn't grow up around it. Their grandma didn't practice it. And so what happens is, is you present the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's literally, to them, freeing. Because all they've known is that this one way. And so, and, and when I say that, um, I think that, that should spark something in us that we need to pray for the wisdom and knowledge of the Holy Spirit on how to talk to people and witness to people who have been around and been saturated by a form of gospel. We need it because people are believing that a casual prayer from day to day, every now and then, uh, no, I don't have to be a part of that. No, I don't need to necessarily repent. I know who God is. I pray to him. I've had people get kind of like fussy. Like, no, I pray to God. And I'm like, all right. I can already tell that you're not going to let me talk about and, and see if the God that you're talking to is the same one that I'm talking to. I, want, I, want, I need to find out. But I can already see the wall. What do you think the wall comes from? The wall comes from religion. The wall comes from upbringing. The wall comes from saturation. And so that's, that's a problem. That's one problem. The, the second problem is, is on the other side. It's the way the church deals with a saturated area. So you got what the people do, and then you got what the church does. And so what the, the way the church looks at it often is that y'all ain't going to listen anyway. Come on, please tell me I'm not the only person that's thought that. I'm not going to say it because you ain't going to listen anyway. And so, you've heard me say this before, if we all have this collective thinking that, well, you ain't going to listen anyway, then nobody's talking, right? Nobody's challenging, nobody's pushing, nobody's trying to actually get into and let's see and let's find out where your faith's at. Where's it at? What do you believe in? And so that's something we have to be willing to do as a church, as God's people. So it's a two-fold problem. It's really uh,
3: important, I guess, the word of promise. Of to uh, understand that the world is out there mm-hmm. and they need for somebody to tell them about Jesus and what he can do through the power of the Holy Spirit Absolutely. or through the power that God gives them yeah. to, to go to them and testify and mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, because they're not saved, All right, and they're not going to get saved.
0: Yeah, and if, if there wasn't nobody else going to be saved. The juices will already come. Right, exactly. Well, and to you, you know, we I think, you know, if if we just automatically think because they say, well, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to get away from you. Yeah. If we just start thinking that everybody's good.
4: Yeah.
0: So to speak, then we're going to have a problem. I had
3: a person tell me one time, well, I'm good. I give to people and I do this and I do that. Oh, yeah, I've heard yeah, that. But oh, yeah. Do, do you, are, are you saved? Uh-huh. Have you done what Jesus told you to do? Uh, that's right. He said, I don't have to. I'm a good man.
0: I've heard the good person excuse before. I've actually heard that. I actually believe that that was like a stereotype, that it didn't actually exist, that we just Christians used it as an example. No, I actually ran into it numerous times, and I was actually kind of shocked. Pastor, did you have anything on that? No, uh, Next paragraph. The news of fruitful evangelism in Antioch reached the church at Jerusalem. Barnabas was sit, uh, sent to Antioch. He rejoiced to find the large number of Gentiles who had recently accepted Christ. Barnabas's name, meaning the son of encouragement, suggests that his fellow disciples knew he could, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help the new believers start strong in their life in Christ. His ministry in Antioch also resulted in many more coming to Christ. All right, so so uh, something that's not mentioned here directly, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there, just so we'll we can say we talked about it because I think it's very important. It's the it's the art of discipleship, and so what he was talking about here, they were. He uh, he was sent to Antioch, and, and all these people are, are converting. Well, it wasn't just it's not just the conversion that you should be excited about because discipleship carries on. Now, often what happens is is that in discipleship, and what I mean by discipleship, when you're discipling somebody, that doesn't mean that you're forcing them to do anything or that you're you're um, you're making them accountable to you. Not not necessarily anything like that discipleship is is that when a conversion happens or somebody's converted you know there are going to be questions right somebody that is fresh and new needs to know that they can go to somebody with questions and concerns about this new walk of life because if we are not in the business of discipling people you will see people convert and then fall absolutely i mean it's it's because the church I'm not necessarily saying here I'm just saying the church has assumed this is where I think we've been incorrect is that oh you said you're good now you're all right you'll make it that's a wrong perspective and I sure I sure have learned differently in my walk in the way that when when I was brought up I would say about the spirit and as as I was taught that's not the same way other people are going to be taught. Worst thing you can do is just assume that they're gonna learn like you did and you'll be fine. Now before you know it, they're not gonna even be here no more. Discipleship is very important. The D- discipling people that are already saved. So what does that look like exactly? I wanna give an example real quick. It's kind of like, it's kind of like checking on them. You know, you ever done that before? You ever check on somebody? Sure. I just wanna call and check on you. And while you're checking on them, hey, I just wanted to see, do you have any questions? About so maybe some things have been going on in your life. You got any questions about this this new experience? Uh, every time I've asked that question, I've never heard a no. Yeah, actually, I do. I've got a couple questions. You got a minute? That's why I called. That's actually why I called because I wanted to get to that. Let's find out. Let's find out how you're doing. Are you healthy? I mean, are you spiritually going in the right direction? We, you can tell with new converts when the enemy is starting to intercept. Uh-huh. things, on. and they're starting to make bad decisions again. But you would know if you weren't trying to disciple. We cannot assume that everybody's just okay because they got saved. Everybody, you're good now. No, no worries. Everything is going to be great. No, it's going to be a war. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's going to be a war. Yeah. Let me get Jimmy, and then I'll get, get Stacy. Well,
3: we need to understand, you know, when we pray for somebody, and they don't just come right in and get saved. That that prayer that you pray don't never go away. Right. Never come. It's back always
0: away. there. It's always working.
3: That don't mean you don't need to pray for them anymore, but that means you need to pray harder for them. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, gear down. That's good.
1: But once you're saved, it it isn't all peaches and
0: cream. It ain't and even peaches. You're,
1: you're, you're dropped <laughs> off on, in the battlefield.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're,
1: you're, you're not alone, but it may feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And you've got to you've got to get through the the landfill Yes. The minefield. Yeah. You know, it's not every every step
0: is different. hmm It's it's a there's a bit of navigation yeah. that has to happen, and that's why discipleship is so important. So I maybe maybe. There's somebody that you know that doesn't even go to church here that you have connected with and you've seen them get saved over the years. If you're unsure about where they're at or if you think maybe they've they've backslid or they've changed their perspective, check on them. Check on them spiritually. Have a spiritual conversation with them. Deliberately reach out to them and make sure they're spiritually okay. That's discipleship. Okay, let's keep going. I want to try to get out of section one. Knowing that the many of the disciples in Antioch would require teaching, Barnabas went to, uh, to Tarsus to locate Saul. Saul had been commanded by Christ to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He and Barnabas spent a year teaching the Gentile converts in Antioch. This would serve as training for Saul's Gentile missions, which began in Acts 13. So um, you see that that training and those things that, they, that it would act as training. Um, a good example there is a lot of what you go through Today is training for something that's going to happen tomorrow. I, I've I've listened to so many people over the years try to explain it. Pastor, you can say something about that. Wait, no, I was just saying that that over the years I've heard so many people give this example about going through things and there's something better on the other side. Well, that depends on how you define better, and that depends on what you define as good. Because I'm telling you from my own personal experiences, I was prepared. I was prepared, God prepared me for what was next. But what was next wasn't better, it was harder. And when I thought I was, I was like, well, I'm glad to get out of that season, I actually went to a more difficult season. And the crazy thing about it was is that I looked back and realized that he had prepared me for that moment. We're, Like you said, we're still looking for peaches and cream. Peaches and cream don't come until you get to heaven, okay? We ain't gonna get no peaches and cream down here. It's just hard. And we have to focus on the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and navigate us through this life. Mm-hmm. Good.
2: Quickly, there's two terms here in the word teach mm-hmm. to talk to, Yep. For a year.
0: Yep. For a year.
2: We need talk. It's good. People need talk. Need taught. Also, on the other hand, um, we don't just leave them alone after they get saved. Right. I mean, how many times does that happen, and before long, they're just kind of gone. They don't. they got to be taught. They've to be taught. Not just once a while, continuously. Yes. Continuously, that's what keeps us able
1: yes. to reach other people effectively and properly and correctly. That's good. Absolutely. It, it's it's a hands-on thing. It's not.
0: Oh, actually, that's good.
1: People, yeah. people don't. I'm I'm a hands-on learner. That reading stuff sometimes you can give me an instruction I put together a grill deal yesterday and I needed to be an octopus I couldn't <laughs> hold everything in line and get it and it, it was like I'm just not going to be able to do this without help but I mean that's the same walk the walk when you talk to someone who has experienced something that you're going through yeah how much of a comfort is that? Yes, huge you comfort. Know, you, they made it. Mm-hmm. I, I, you can see light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. Yes, or it gets brighter anyway. Yeah, you know, uh, there's times where you you do feel, even though you're right
0: in the middle of a crowd, I you feel, feel alone. alone. Absolutely, that's good. And so, you know, a lot of the st- things that you know Stacy's saying and some of the others have said. You know, it's, it's this realization that, you know, even though you might have come through what you've been through, there's someone else out there that's going through it. I, I mean, you know, there's, there's there's trials, always trials. I mean, some of you, if I was to ask you, you probably, I'd say, when was the last time you did not have a trial? When's the last time you can remember that you didn't have a trial? I don't know if you can come up with it. I don't have a timeline for you. There's always a trial, right? So So making the assumption that people are good and that everything is fine with them, is false. Because if, if I can't think of the last time I didn't have a trial, you know that they're in a trial, no. especially being new. Because the enemy is going to try to come back. He's going to try to regain that ground. Mm-hmm. So Remember that. So it says, Luke noted that Jesus' followers were called Christians, first in Antioch. You notice, Christians. This was likely an insult or a prerogative coming at them from <laughs> unbelievers. All right, so if you, do your, if you study that, it's true. That's exactly what they called them. That's exactly where the name Christian came yeah. from was actually derogatory insults. Read Jewish, some Jewish history. You'll find that out. It was right after the resurrection of Christ and as the church began to grow, they began to come up with this name, Christians, which was mockery. It was like, a bad, like, a, like us saying a bad word. Sure. Oh, you Christians! And, and it was shameful. But it stuck. It stuck. And now that's what you're called today. And I think it's actually kind of fitting. Because the Holy Spirit could have done anything he wanted to with that. But you know what he did? He was like, ah, good name. We'll take it. That'll work. And so you got to understand too, church. you got to understand the context of calling somebody a Christian in that time. Because there was this massive conversion that was happening. But there were a lot of people that were mocking Christians mocking this belief in Christ. And so it's kind of like if, you know, you know, in like our culture, things catch on, you know, when something moves, it starts moving. And I've seen something that was once unpopular, and everyone scolded it and said, oh, nobody wants to be a part of that. Couple weeks, couple media pushes, and everybody wants to do it. That's kind of what happened. Was that it was this, you know, you you lousy Christians, you in laughing at them. And before too long, they all got converted. <laughs> and so so I just want you to understand a little bit about that context. So they were, uh, it says, um, let me see, where was I at? With time, however, Christian would become not a taunt, but a joyful designation that the children of God accepted for themselves. Absolutely. All right, let's go to section two, persecution and deliverance. I got a little bit of time. King Herod, Agrippa group of the first, grandson of Herod the Great, wanted to be seen as a devout Jew. He arrested some of the early disciples to persecute them. He began by arresting and executing the Apostle James. James and his brother John desired important positions in Christ's kingdom. J- Jesus taught, however, that greatness came by service. Alright, here, here's a good section. We really get into this. So this applies really into today's time, too, and the way people view positioning. I mentioned that earlier. Um, he's... Uh, James and John wanted high-ranking position, especially when they got to heaven. And when we get to heaven, you know, we want to be great. And what Jesus did is he called them to another perspective. He said, "This greatness is a greatness by service." People forget, but that's exactly what you're to do. Is that this is about servitude? One of the hardest things to try to understand within a Well, let's just do it like this. Let's use it within a church setting like here, okay? Church setting here. Service. If nobody is able to serve, we are going to have a hard time ever having church. Do you realize that the only reason that you can actually come in this building, have classrooms in the back, have teaching going on, and this thing functions three times a week is because people are willing to serve.
2: Clean.
0: Everything from the small things to the grass being mowed, service. It's got to be done. I actually listened to this. There's this teaching that's going around. You'll hear me say this later on because um, I've got a training uh, that starts tonight. And um, tithing is in in that that bit of training. There's this belief now that there's no... Uh, it just came out by some pretty prominent prominent Christian people that you don't have to tithe anymore and i was like what what is going on i said i guess you guys ain't never been to a small church before you see it takes everybody doing their part in order to stay going i'll tell you if you've never if you have never talked to a pastor that was a part of the church that couldn't function anymore that you don't fully understand it pastor i know you have i have Spoken to people, so what happened? What did it? We lost our people. Nobody was tithing no more. We didn't have no money to hold the thing up. Nobody wanted to come. Nobody wanted to teach. Service. Gone. No service. No church.
2: church. No, oh, no, no. It's these huge, super mega churches that are coming up with that idea, Paul. <laughs> because they're so huge, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's easy to say that when you're part of a big organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I understand what you're saying. No disrespect to them at all. I mean, but the mentality, the mentality is, is that that we don't have to tithe. Well, let me give you an example. If you have a congregation of two thousand. Everybody can give $5, and you're going to be able to keep that place afloat. You're going to make a lot of them. You're going to do well, especially when they, there's $2,000, 2 services in a day. Start doing the math on that. Quite a bit of money. $5. Five. Well, everybody can find $5, right? But it's different. It's different when you start actually getting into talking about tithing, because tithing is personal. I think it's personal, people. It's between you and God. It's a very personal thing between you and Him. And so, um, sometimes I wonder if we're paying our fee to stay in the country club, or are we being a part of what the gospel says that we need to be doing? It's different, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not. not I'm just saying that it's easy to say that. It's easier to say that when you have um, lots and lots of funds. and It's harder to say that when you have ten people in your church. And the three old ladies over here that are tithing is what's keeping the thing together. Now, that's a different look. And I mean that totally respectfully. Because there's a lot of churches surviving off that very thing.
4: Well, God tells you to tithe. The Bible tells you to tithe. So if they're saying you don't have to tithe, then they're not preaching God's word.
0: So why
4: do you want to go there in the first place? why, Why do you want
0: to go there? So yeah, there's there's a, yeah there's a whole different teaching on that now. That's just anyway. Let me get back to that. That's a good good point. Okay, I'm in section two. Uh, came to service, and John and James would join him in the service of suffering. What? Suffering? Who wants to suffer? Nobody, right? But the Bible says if you suffer with him, you will also
3: live with him.
0: You will also Amen. reign. So think about it and the bible gives all the hints i mean it gives it all it's all the hints are there to tell you that it's not going to be peaches and cream and that you're going to have to suffer it's all there and if for some reason we just don't quite grab a hold of that and if the disciples were happy that they got flogged how far off are we (laughs) i mean if they were happy that they were being beaten because they said that they were found worthy. We were found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Whew, I got, some, I got some, uh, some work to do to be happy for suffering for Christ. So having pleased his Jewish subjects by the death of James, Herod arrested Peter and placed him under the guard of four rotating uh, squads of four soldiers each. That's a lot of guards. <laughs> Peter's situation looked hopeless, but the church was praying. On the eve of his trial, Peter was awakened by an angel. Released from his bonds, Peter got dressed and followed the angel. Neither the soldiers to whom he was chained, he was chained to soldiers, all right? He wasn't just chained, he was chained to someone else. This is a major deal. Nor those who stood guard outside his cell were aware of his departure. Peter thought he was seeing a vision, but after the angel had led him into the city, he realized that he had once again been delivered from prison. What do you take from that? I mean, I know what I take from it. What do you take from it? What do you think? What can you what can we learn from what happened to Peter in our own lives? What can we learn?
4: God will break everything for us, no matter how detrimental it is, no matter how it may be to us or look to other people, God will come in and break It's
0: it. good. Okay. Anyone else? You know why I look at that? There's always a way of escape. I don't care who's at the door. There's always a way out. I think somebody needs to hear that. I don't care who is guarding the door. There's always a way out. And I love that. So Peter went immediately to the home of Mary, whose uh, son, John Mark, would later accompany Paul and Barnabas in ministry. Mary appears to have been wealthy. Her house was large enough to be a meeting place for a number of believers. Peter's knocking at the gate was uh, answered by Rhoda, a servant girl. Recognizing Peter's voice, she excitedly reported to those who were praying but her joyful report was met by unbelief. Remember, they were praying for Peter and praying for his protection and praying that he'd be released. He got released. The, holy, the, the angels released him. He goes to tell them, and they said, it must be his ghost. He's dead. That's, 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 what, that's, what was, that's what happened. But don't you see yourself in that? I mean, don't you see? What, we're praying, and we're like, yeah, I guess this is the end. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. So it's great. So he said the idea that Rhoda had seen Peter's angel reflected a popular belief that each person had a guardian angel that could become visible after they were dead. Once admitted into the home, Peter testified of his rescue. Gave glory to God. He told them to tell the good news to others. Herod had the prison guards executed for their failure to hold Peter. Then he went to Caesarea, where representatives of Tyre and Sidon desired to meet with him to make peace and ensure their food supply. Herod put on a royal garment and spoke to them. They responded by calling uh, his voice the voice of a god. So the, uh, the historian Josephus, he wrote about this. And what he said was is that Herod, and this kind of, this makes sense when you actually look at the scripture text, and it kind of goes together, is that he said that Herod had put on a silver robe, And when he began to speak, the sun rays hit the silver robe and people began to scream in horror. And they said, He's not a man. He's a god. That's what they thought. And the moment that people believed that, he was stricken. He was stricken. Stricken with worms. Died like, I don't know, like five or six days after. Something like that. Not long. And so he had... And, and maybe he did it. Josephus didn't really say whether it was an intentional thing, whether they had knew that it was going to look like that and maybe elevate him in the eyes of the people. But this is the thing about ancient historians. Their business was in accuracy. Not like today, not like the media today where it's based on lies. Historians then were accurate. And they did everything they could to make sure that every detail was right. So when Josephus said that Herod had put on a silver robe and the sun rays hit him and the people began to scream, he's he's a, hes a God, he's a God. He died five days later. I'd say it was accurate. You don't elevate yourself above God. And God's sure to send a signal that you don't belong there. Finishing up. But God did not share his glory uh, with anyone. <laughs> That's good. God's judgment on Herod was instant and complete. All right. So always remember too, and I'm out of time. Uh, one thing I want to say about, you know, just having that bit of information. When you have questions about what the Bible says, and I know this is gonna you're gonna think I'm trying to lead you on, lead you on a wild goose chase, and I'm not. You gotta remember when you study the Bible, you have to be willing to study culture. A lot of what the Bible says is embedded in Jewish culture and understanding it and interpreting it correctly. Is found in the their ways and their culture and what they did. I have read things before of historians and the things of that of that era that opened my eyes to understanding God's word and what it really meant. I was like, man, I never understood. That didn't even make any sense to me until I understood that was actually a part of their ways. That's what they did. One of the reasons that we don't understand a lot of what Is being said in the Bible is because we don't understand what they were doing. We don't understand that culture. So I'm just giving you that as a piece of study advice. Um, Study that. It's good for you. Study their culture. It will answer a lot of questions. God bless you guys. Thank you.